The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 885, very special episode. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today with the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page. Realizing just now that I didn't turn the air on before we started doing this, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm noticing now because it's hot in here. It's a little, it's a little, uh, a little balmy. Under the lights, it can be, it can be a little hot, but uh, excruciating. Some would say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But we are excited because, you know, doing this show gives us the opportunity to talk to very important people. Who are doing good work. Yes. And Melissa Fowler, the Chief Program Officer of the National Abortion Federation, is one of those people. For sure. I am not sure how I found this organization originally. I think it was back when Roe was overturned and there was this push to find organizations that were going to step into the gap and help people find access to abortions. And I came across them because they have a national abortion hotline that helps people find access to care, helps get funding for travel to care if they're in a state where an abortion, where abortions are banned. It does all kinds of things. And we really get into the weeds with Melissa about what the organization does, but I want to give that National Abortion Hotline number out right now. It's 1-800-772-9100, and you can call it Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 4 Eastern Time. We're going to put all of this in the show notes, so don't panic yeah. and think that you have to be memorizing this or writing it down. But Melissa is definitely an important figure, and the National Abortion Federation is doing a lot of very important work. Yeah, as we've talked about many times since Roe was overturned, and even when the draft memo was released, and we went down to the Supreme Court and talked to some people, uh, we've seen the writing on the wall of what was going to take place in America, and just how draconian the policies that would be coming out of these individual disparate states like Idaho, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida— and it, it's come to pass. I mean, there are further ramifications of abortion being uh, legalized, criminalized across the country. We're seeing in Idaho, we've talked about it several times, that hospitals are shutting down maternity wards because doctors don't want to work under these conditions. It's too, it's too stressful. It's too precarious relative to their legal situation, maybe even prosecuted. So it is, for me, very heartening to see people step into the gap in moments where fascism is absolutely starting to win in certain states across the country. I'm, I'm uh, very happy that she, she joined us for, for the conversation. Yeah, me too. So without further ado, uh, we'll get to the interview right now. And then after the interview, we'll come back and talk about our thoughts. Melissa Fowler, thank you for joining us. First, um, I want to say that we want to acknowledge how important the work that you do and the National Abortion Federation, uh, by extension, what you do there. Um, 
And we want to say that we appreciate you very much. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you, of course. Thanks for saying that. Um, I do, I do want to start, for those who might be unaware in our audience, uh, what exactly is it that the National Abortion Federation does? Great. So we are the Professional Membership Association of Abortion Providers, and we represent clinics that provide abortion care. So that includes independent clinics, Planned Parenthoods, doctor's offices, hospitals, and even telehealth providers that we're seeing more of these days in the U.S., Canada, Mexico City, and Colombia. And so we provide a number of benefits and services that abortion providers need so that they can do their jobs. So everything from 24-7 security support to continuing medical education. Uh, we set standards for quality care and have a quality assurance process to actually audit clinics and make sure that they're in compliance with those standards. Um, and just any sort of needs that abortion providers might have. We provide a really important community for them um, and a space where they can come together and learn from each other and be really out and bold about their work. And for a lot of our providers, they feel pretty isolated at home and don't have a place where they can connect with other people doing this work. And so NAF has been that community for them. And then we also run a national hotline and we run the largest patient assistance fund in the country. So we help more than 100,000 patients a year with their procedure costs, finding a provider, and in the last couple of years with covering travel expenses to be able to access care. Yeah, that's how I actually found out about the National Abortion Federation was learning about the hotline. And I definitely want to want to spend a lot of time talking about that because I think it's super important, especially with what we're facing in the country right now. But I'm interested in the support that you're offering to abortion providers and specifically what you talked about, how people feel lonely and that you kind of offer this community for abortion providers. I imagine it's difficult, especially in the political climate that we have right now as there are just constant attacks on reproductive rights, reproductive freedom. How has that been for your members? How has that been for your organization kind of stepping up and, and being there for those providers? Well, it's never been easy. You know, unfortunately, since abortion was legalized back in the 70s, there's been a coordinated attack against providers, both in terms of harassment and physical violence, and then in legislative attacks and singling them out for all kinds of unnecessary restrictions. But in the last few years, it's really been incredibly hard for our members. You know, they're healthcare providers who, like other healthcare providers, have been providing care during a pandemic. You know, they had to go through all the same things of trying to figure out how to pivot and provide care safely because abortion is essential healthcare. And we did have providers continue to stay open and provide that during the pandemic. So all of the burnout and the just staff wear and tear that other healthcare providers have experienced, our providers have experienced. And then on top of that, to have the additional pressures and legislative attacks and to sort of know, you know, we were predicting with the Dobbs decision that we were going to see a negative outcome and we were going to see states be able to ban abortion. And even though we've been working for that and preparing for that, when it actually happened, it was just devastating. I mean, I don't know that you can ever fully be prepared for something like that. And, you know, we had members in many states have to immediately close, close their family businesses, close clinics that have been serving their community for decades. And we were providing resources for them about how you wind down a business, how you close a healthcare practice, how you care for your staff who have been incredibly dedicated to this work. We've been helping folks who want to travel to other states now, uh, maybe even on a short-term basis or to move because they want to stay in this movement and they want right. to work at the remaining clinics. And so we've done a lot of matching and work there to help people in states where they can't provide anymore, look for jobs in places where they could go and provide. 
And we've been supporting a lot of new clinics that are opening in places like Illinois and New Mexico, um, places where we're seeing a surge in patients and where there is increased need. There have been some providers who had clinics in other places that are now, they're not able to provide care. So they're they're opening in a different state. And so they need a lot of support. They need security support and support getting everything set up and clinical protocols and all of those things associated with opening a business that we're able to support. And, you know, as you mentioned, facing these types of attacks as healthcare providers is really, is really hard. And, um, you know, for many years, some of our members have been the only provider in their state or not had a, anyone close to them that they could really talk to, or it's not like you can just call the clinic down the street when you're having a bad day or, or someone right. understands what you're going through. And so for those providers, being a part of NAF has been really essential. They get connected to providers from all over the world and, and they learn a lot. I mean, we have members in Latin America who are at this moment have, you know, they're in a moment where their governments are actually liberalizing laws. And there's so much we sure. can learn from the work that they've done on the ground um, and get encouragement from that as we keep facing all of these, you know, bans and really negative decisions here. Yeah. You, you, these are, these are words that we use also on the show a lot words like attack. Um, and you've, you've, you've used the word to reference security multiple times. Are yeah. you seeing an uptick in the need for um, both as a proactive measure, but also defensive because of intelligence. Yeah, I have a military background, so I use that word. Um, <laughs> information right. on the ground that um, there is more of a risk now in, in the in the uh, wake of the Dobbs decision that you need more physical security? We do. So we were predicting that. I mean, the day after the leak, the morning after, we sent out an alert to members saying we expect to see an uptick. And we started to see an uptick in posts online immediately. People saying, let's not wait for the Dobbs decision. Go out and burn clinics now. Wow. Um, go out and target them right now. And so, you know, we tracked that. We were having, we heard from members immediately. They saw an increase in protesters and an increase in the hostility. And, you know, people just feel emboldened by the sure. Dobbs decision. We saw that coming out of Texas SB8. Um, they, you know, when they feel like they're winning, they af- often take that out in being more hostile at clinics. And so we've seen more aggressive protesters, um, larger demonstrations. And, you know, unfortunately, when a clinic closes, the people that target that clinic don't just go home and give up. We see them actually travel or even move to other states where abortion remains legal and target the clinics there. So we produce statistics every year on violence and disruption against providers based on reports from our members and other sources. And um, we, in 2022, we started to see a disproportionate increase in those protective states where they haven't had as many issues before. Um, and people think, you know, these are states that are friendly to abortion, that are really protective, everything must be fine. And they're actually seeing an increase in harassment, clinic invasions, um, stalking, arsons, things like that. And so we're working with those clinics. Yeah. And that's, I mean, stalking, things like that, I don't think you often hear about in in the media as well. So that's important. Um, Like I said, the reason that I came across your organization was the National Abortion Hotline. And this was particularly important because there was a a time profile that came out of a 13-year-old rape survivor. And your organization actually sent out an email following this story because she was forced to become a mother. She was forced to have a baby after her rape before she started the seventh grade. And uh, your organization's email really highlighted the fact that this hotline that you have could have been so beneficial to this family 
had the family and families like that known about it, if they knew that the hotline existed. So I think it's important to talk about it. What is the National Abortion Hotline and, and what does it offer? So we are the largest national hotline. We offer information about services and information about abortion that's factual and unbiased. So much of what people find online or what they get when they reach out to a a crisis pregnancy center or some group like that is not factual and is actually pretty biased. And so we can provide, we can answer questions about the laws in your state. We can answer questions about abortion. Uh, We can also help people figure out how to get care. And we can help people no matter what state they live in. We work with our membership. And so we make referrals to our clinics where we know the quality of care is good, where we have been in those clinics, we have visited them, we know they're in compliance with our standards and providing the highest quality care. And so people can feel really confident about calling and getting a referral. And then we're also able to offer financial assistance, which is just so crucial right now. So um, if people qualify, we're able to help fund part of their procedure costs. We also have case management support where you're assigned a case manager who can help you through that whole process. So they can talk to you about what are the options for traveling and what that looks like. And and we're able to also, in some cases, book those flights for people, book hotel stays, provide food stipends, provide wraparound support, and then be on call while you're making that journey. Because, you know, once people have everything lined up, that's just the beginning. You know, we, we hear from people all the time who, you know, their ride doesn't show up or they have a flat tire or they miss their flight or something changes on the way and they have to pivot and go somewhere else or shift their care. And so we're able to make those adjustments and make sure that they actually make it to the clinic um, and are able to access that care with dignity. You know, when I started at NAF 17 years ago, we didn't have a lot of funding on the hotline and we really were more of an information source, which was really important. But we talked to people every day who, no matter how much information we gave them, just couldn't make it to a clinic or had to do, you know, had to sell things or not pay their rent or risk being evicted or sleep in their car. And that's not the experience we want for folks. We want people to be able to go and to have, you know, a nice, safe stay and to comfort- comfortably access the health care that they need. So even in states where abortion is banned, if someone calls and they say, I need help, your organization can offer that help to them, figure out a way to get them care. We can. Yes, we can explain, you know, their options, where there are appointments, where they could go um, and help them come up with a plan and and with the financial assistance to make that plan possible. How how is it just within the organization? Because this is kind of a moving target, right? I mean, different states are passing different restrictions. They are working overtime to, you know, make things more restricted. How is it for your organization just following that and being able to receive these calls where I'm sure people are confused and and not even sure what's legal in their state or what's going on? Absolutely. I mean, and and the confusion is is by design. It's part of it. I mean, our opposition capitalizes on that confusion. Um, And, you know, we hear from patients every day who have delayed their care because they saw a news article or they thought abortion was illegal in their state and it may not be, or they thought because it's illegal in their state, it must be illegal everywhere. And so they didn't even try to find another option. And so um, it can be, you know, very daunting for people. Um, You know, we have regionally focused case managers who are in real time getting updates on, you know, clinic capacity, you know, what's going on, where there are resources, what the law is, you know, we're working round the clock to stay, you know, really informed. And we've definitely had it happen where a person's on the way to their care in Georgia and they pass a ban 
And so they have to stop and call us and go to another state because wow. that care is no longer available. So um, it's why having a national network is really helpful for people because you know, sometimes their plans may shift and they need to go to an entirely different part of the country to get care now. And so we're able to support them through that process. Uh, being in this in this space in the world, and you, you know, you said that you absolutely expected, like the rest of us, that Roe would be overturned. Um, that's not a surprise. Have there been any surprises in a post-Roe America uh, for your organization? I, I mean, I think... You know, it's not a huge surprise because we've known for a long time that we are the majority. The majority of people support legal access to abortion, but it has been really encouraging to see the work in the states and to see the ballot measures that have passed um, and in places like Kansas and Michigan and to see people really understanding that this is a long fight and that there's a lot of work to do on the ground in the states to really win back and have expanded access um, and over what we had under Roe. So... Um, you know, it's a, it's a strange era. I mean, I, sure. after this court decision, it's hard to be surprised by much or be yeah. surprised by much of what the opposition will do. But um, we have been really encouraged that there has been such an outpouring of support and, and just that people are rightfully so very angry about having their rights taken away. Yeah, I, I, I'm hoping that this is kind of a, a clarion call, a wake up call for people who are you know, sidelined, somewhat involved because of, you know, we're, Brittany and I are both originally from Idaho and we're seeing, you know, Mm. the, the ramifications of a post-roll world that are taking place that don't just involve abortion providers and abortion, but also obstetrics and gynecological services and hospitals having to shutter uh, those services uh, in Northern Idaho where people have to go out of state just to get a baby delivered. So I know. Um, again, the work, I don't want to gush. <laughs> Maybe no. I do. The Maybe. work you do is so important. We're re- oh, very appreciative you. for the, the activism and the, you know, the, on the, the work, the hard work that you do. Thank you. I mean, yeah. and it, it really is our members on the ground who are making this possible. I mean, they are the folks that, that deal with the huge disruptions to their lives and they, and many of them just feel really called to do this. And even when, they have lived in a state that has now banned abortion. They That doesn't stop them. They are picking up. They're going to other places yeah. to care for those patients. Yeah. What would you say are some of the challenges facing your organization right now? So, you know, we definitely, like a lot of other organizations, are limited by, you know, capacity and resources. We definitely need to expand staff, particularly on our security team, um, and our team that works um, with Quality Assurance to be able to provide more direct services to providers. You know, we've seen an outpouring of support in the last year from donors and others who are really outraged by Dobbs. But, you know, it's a challenge to keep people engaged and to help people understand that they need to be just as mad as they were in June and yeah. keep fighting for this issue. Because, you know, it this is life-changing work and care that that people really need. And, you know, we have it's going to be an incredibly long fight. Um, and, a, and a constant fight to try and get access back in some places and to get more access than we had before. And so, you know, we were really fortunate that a lot of people who were outraged in last June have signed on to be monthly supporters and have stayed engaged. And clinics are hearing that too in their communities. People are calling and seeing if they can volunteer, what they can do to help. 
because they want care to remain available in their communities. And they understand that we need to support those providers on the ground who are facing all kinds of attacks every day. Have you noticed a, a, a notable uptick in in the numbers of calls and support that you're getting uh, post-Roe? Post we have. I mean, of course, that surge, we saw the most calls last summer right after the decision. But, you know, as abortion appears in the news, we'll see a bump in people um, who are paying attention and want to help out, particularly cases, things like this really heartbreaking time story where, you know, it's it was just so, so devastating that had had she had access to accurate information, um, there were closer clinics and places that she could have gone. And, you know, we likely could have funded that travel and care. And so um, as people see that and understand the people that are left behind and the people that really need assistance right now, it really does lead them to to want to take action and really support providers and, and support access, you know, donate toward patient assistance and making sure that there are funds available because um, for some people, without those funds, they wouldn't be able to make the trip. Yeah. I think that's something that we have struggled with is how do we keep the rage flowing so that it can mobilize (laughs) people to act and stay engaged? Because I mean, there were times where I would just look around and, and ask myself and ask you, why is everyone acting normal? Like, do we understand how serious this is? Do we understand how this is going to change everything? And it just seemed like after a while, things kind of did go back to quote unquote normal in the news, in what people were thinking about, talking about. And it is hard to kind of keep this in the forefront of people's minds that this is still a struggle that so many people are facing across the country. And this is an important issue. And, you know, thankfully, we do have things like that time story. And there's other reports that I've seen um, that can help keep it in the forefront of people's minds. But it seems like that's difficult lately. It is. And, you know, I eat, sleep, breathe this. I think about abortion all day, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And a lot yeah. of people that we talk to have only considered this when they have found themselves in that moment needing to access abortion sure. care. It's not something they're staying up on all the laws and nor should I, I don't think we should expect people to, especially with the patchwork of laws, the confusion that we have right now and the, the way that they're rapidly changing. It's hard for people working in this space to stay on top of the laws, um, much less someone who you know, this is an issue that they care about, but maybe not where they're focused and that they have their lives and other things going on. So it definitely um, is hard. I think where we can make some, you know, ground is trying to get people to understand that this is part of a coordinated attack on our democracy. Like the people that are passing these bans are the same people that are banning books and going after people's rights to vote. And it's all part of a really coordinated strategy um, that does affect all aspects of our lives and our rights every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the steady march of white Christian nationalism is also a topic we cover a lot on the show. <laughs> and it is, yeah. uh, without a doubt, what you're saying, a concerted effort. It's a coordinated oh, yeah. effort where they're taking advantage of the fact that there are economic problems passing these these laws. Like, we'll just use Texas as an example, where it's vague. Doctors don't know what's going to make them violate the law. But it's it's right. meant to be that way, so people are just afraid to, to even broach the the topic. So it's yes. again, uh, or not again, but no question, more just a filibuster on my part. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It's very true. I mean that it, it has a chilling effect because yeah. it's it's vague by design, and you know, and we've talked to people 
who go to ERs in Texas and should have been able to receive care, but the people, the doctors there are just too afraid to help them. Um, even yeah. people with ectopic pregnancies and things that where they need urgent care. And so, you know, the hotline has been filling that gap as well. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're, uh, I'm hopeful that people in, in places like we live in Washington, DC now, but people in California, people in Massachusetts, people in Illinois, where their rights are not being threatened, um, that they will wake up and have some sense of, of a bolstered empathy for people who live in states like Idaho, like Texas, like Oklahoma, like Louisiana, like Florida, that it's, you don't have the rights that you do in, in, you know, much of America. I just, I hope that uh, interviews like this, people like you doing good work will, will snap some people out of their haze, I guess. Well, and there's, there's a lot to be, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there's a lot to be angry about. There's a lot to be sad about. But I guess I'm wondering, what do you feel optimistic about? So, you know, when talking to providers every day makes me feel really optimistic. Our members are incredibly resilient. They're innovative. They are working right now to try and see as many patients as they can. You know, we're helping people increase their capacity, whether that's opening a new clinic or just expanding the number of days that they're able to be open at current locations. Um, and I know that those providers are not going to give up and that they are going to do everything they can to be able to see more patients. And that's incredibly encouraging. Um, you know, I feel really positive about the the work in the states and the places where abortion is going to be on the ballot, because as we've seen, when it's on the ballot, we win. And yeah. I think, you know, you're seeing some amazing efforts in Ohio and Florida right now um, to really get those those ballot initiatives on the ballot and there will be support for them. And so I think that's incredibly encouraging and and, and the work that we need to be doing really to get back access and have even stronger access than we had in some of these places. I'm, um, <laughs> this might sound cynical, but I'm, I'm, uh -oh. I'm, um, I'm, my spirits are buoyed by the fact that Republicans don't seem to see the writing on the wall and they're just <laughs> marching ahead into a bandsaw. It's like that scene in the movie Fargo where they throw the guy in the wood chipper. They're, <laughs> it's self-immolation. They're doing this to themselves, thinking yeah. that they've got the, the voice or the, the support of the American people when election after election, whether it be Kansas or Ohio or wherever – the writings on the wall, the American people are largely, wildly in support of abortion rights and abortion access, and it's to the doom of Republicans who aren't reading that writing. Is that your take on it as well? Well, we are maybe without the colorful three, metaphors. So I, I, I'm not. I can't. I can't comment on a specific party, but I do. I do think it. It is amazing that these legislators are ignoring the will of the people and the, the will of their constituents. And, yeah. you know, I think we've been wanting for a long time people to really have this outcry and just, and to hold their legislators accountable. Um, you know, these are people that are elected that are passing these horrible bans and restrictions. And so, you know, it, it, the data is there. We know that the majority of people want legal abortion. They didn't want Row to be overturned. And, you know, I think it's, it's much to the detriment of the legislators to ignore that. Um, and to keep moving forward on this course of just really un unpopular restrictions that are that have really devastating effects to people's health and lives. Sure. Absolutely. Um, what, 
I mean, knowing how important your organization is, knowing how important the work that you're doing is both for abortion providers, for those seeking abortions, how can the people who are listening to this, how can the people who are watching this support the uh, National Abortion Federation? Well, thank you so much for offering that. So people can learn more at ProChoice.org. Um, they can share the hotline number with people they know who you know might need it or making sure that um, that people know they're a safe person to talk to about abortion so that you can have those conversations and refer people to the hotline um, or share that information is really critical as well. Where we're seeing the greatest need on the hotline is really in travel support. You know, more people every day need to travel. And, you know, for some people, we are covering the entire cost of their travel, whether that's, you know, gas cards or a plane or a bus ticket, hotel, food support, uh, making sure that they, you know, are able to take care of themselves and safely access care. And so um, people can donate. We have a patient assistance fund and every dollar we raise there goes directly to helping patients and covering those travel costs. And That's so, great. you know, as you noted, for the people who are fortunate right now to live in states where their rights are protected, um, you know, this is a way they can help and help take care of folks who you know, aren't as fortunate. And, you know, I know often people say, well, why don't people just leave those states? Why would you want to live in those states? You know, and yeah. I grew up in Texas and that's just not a realistic thing. And especially for our providers, they are deeply rooted in their communities. They have families just like everyone else. They can't just move to another state because abortion is banned um, and they care about their communities. They don't want to give up there. So um, I think it's really important for those of us who live in places where we still have the right to access abortion care that we're trying to help others have the same access. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. We we very much appreciate your work. Again, your the the, the information you're giving. You. Uh, one final question, uh, not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> we we uh, we uh, we have tried to put this into practice in our own lives of changing our minds when the information changes or when our understanding of that information changes. We try to encourage the audience to do that as well. Uh, what's the last thing or the most recent thing, Melissa Fowler, that you uh, you changed your mind about? I know this is really putting me on the spot. I mean, I'm not, it's not definitely not the most recent, but I think it may be if I could take the, the liberty of saying the most impactful or the, the biggest thing. I mean, yeah, I am someone right. that I was, I grew up in Texas. I was raised Southern Baptist. I was very involved in church, very, very anti-choice. In fact, I begged my mom to let me protest at abortion clinics um, oh, wow. when I was in high school and she didn't let me um, because of the violence happening at the time in the nineties. Um, and then, you know, as I got more information, met more people, went to college, met people who had abortions, encountered Planned Parenthood, you know, the place I had been taught to fear and hate my entire life and became a Planned Parenthood patient um, to access health care, you know, really changed my mind in such a way that I devoted my life to this work and actually, you know, and now for 17 years have worked at one of the leading pro-choice organizations in the country. So, um, you know, I think it's important for people to keep talking to people who have abortions, keep talking to people about their lives. And I think you will change your mind when you understand that the people affected by these restrictions are your friends and your family and people you know every day. And uh, we really need to make sure that these rights are protected. Without a doubt, no, uh, no, no better way to say it th th than that. We, uh, Melissa Fowler, we appreciate your work you. again. I know I had to keep beating this Goddamn drum about well, appreciating I getting, you. I was getting choked up oh, by that you. answer, so I'm happy that Aww. you're talking for me now. I mean, that was that's exactly that 
some summarizes exactly why we asked the question, because it's kind of the common theme of the answers, too, is that you are increasing your education. You're going out there and you're meeting people, you're talking to people. And it, I think it instills hope that there, it's still possible for people to yeah. change, you know? And yeah. I, I, your story resonates with me because I grew up the same way, yeah. um, radical, evangelical, conservative <laughs> household and uh, all yeah. of the all of the bigotry and the, the, the fear and all of that was instilled at an early age. And somehow through luck and whatever else, I was able to yeah. jettison the nonsense. So that's great. Uh, we appreciate your time. Melissa oh, Fowler. Yes, again, one so more great. time. <laughs> we appreciate your work. You. And uh, if the audience has questions, uh, we will forward them the, the hotline. Thank you so much. Thank you. So you may have been looking for, I'm speaking to the listeners now, you may have been thinking about an organization that you want to donate to, Mm -hmm. maybe donate to regularly. And maybe the National Abortion Federation is the organization that you've been waiting for because it is definitely a worthy cause. I mean, think of what your your funding could do. It could fund someone's access to an abortion, whether they need to travel out of state and stay in a hotel, they need to buy a plane ticket you could help take part in funding that for someone. And that's so important. Yeah. We, a lot of times when we talk about these things, it's kind of, it's nebulous. There's not, this is one of those things that really, there's a reality here. It costs money to travel, whether you're driving or whether you're flying or taking a bus, it costs money. A lot of the people, especially people who would be needing the services of the national abortion federation don't have, the funds to do that. They don't have the funds for hotels, for childcare, if they have a child already. And this is beautiful work by an organization that really does need, I don't know to, to, to what level, but I, I, you know, the word desperately needs, it seems apt here. So if, if you're in a position to help with some funding and uh, a donation, uh, th- there's n- no better organization out there, and I would uh, encourage that. Yeah, and their website is prochoice.org. Pretty easy. And again, I would share just the organization with everyone you know Yeah. in, in your circles because like Melissa talked about in the interview, people are not going to be able to use these services if they don't know they exist. Right. And, and part of the problem here is that they don't know this exists. So more people could be using this service, more people could be using this hotline, more people could be receiving funding and not be stuck in situations that they have no control over. This helps people retain control over their lives and make a decision that's best for them and go on to create the life that they want for themselves. Yeah. So it's very important. So thank you to Melissa Fowler, the Chief Program Officer at the National Abortion Federation. You see, I'm reminding the listeners of who we talked to. <laughs> I'm taking that criticism we got, onboarding yeah. it, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. We would encourage your participation in this conversation. This is an ongoing conversation we're going to obviously continue to have 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We are also, as a reminder, a listener-supported uh, outfit here. We would invite your uh, participation in helping fund what we do, helping support the work, helping produce this very podcast and interviews just like this. You can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast to check out what is involved uh, with that. 
Anyway, with that, we'll leave you guys. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for your passion for the country, passion for the country's people, and making our world a better place. We will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.